have a lot of sickness, let me remind you of two things that... Uh, Number one, Miss Christine Moss, her granddaughter's in the hospital, the VA center. I don't know which one, but I presume it's at the base, but I'm not sure of that. But then also, uh, last night, you probably heard that uh, uh, Rocky and Stacy's granddaughter had to be taken to the hospital. She's probably about five years old, I'm guessing, somewhere in there, and she had 109 temperature. And But they got it down, and she's back home. She came home last night. But uh, that's obviously very serious, and so we'd be in prayer for those. Of course, that takes out two of our families there, and so it just, uh, and then I guess the rain scared everybody else off. I don't know what happened, but it just, uh, nonetheless, we're, we're going to have a good time anyway. So it just, if, if you will, open your Bibles to the book of Nehemiah, and let me just give you a little bit of a history here with Nehemiah before we actually get started. But it's uh, Nehemiah was, of course, a Jewish young man, and he, when he was young, he, they were taken captive. The city was overthrown and taken captive. And he was way away from his homeland, and he became the king's cupbearer. Uh, he was a young guy that just grew up, and of course, this is years later and so forth. And one day, if you, now this, I'm just summarizing this. You can go back and read the whole story in Nehemiah chapter 1 and 2. But one day, some folks from Jerusalem came up there, some remnants of the people that used to live there. And he got to talking to one of them. And they were telling him that, he said, well, how's Jerusalem? What's going on back there and all this? He said, oh, you haven't heard? He says, it's about tore up. So they tore the walls down of Jerusalem and all this, all this stuff. And it's, it's just almost deserted now. It's not, a, not even a city more. It's not a fortress at all. And so that concerned him. If you go back and read in Nehemiah chapter 1 and 2, he began to pray. He says, oh, that's, that's terrible. And he began to pray that God would somehow use him to to get his people back together. And he began to have this vision of building a wall, rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem. Of course, back in this day, cities had walls around them to protect them, and so there was no protection now. So that's what he did. He began to do this. He went to the king because he was the king's cupbearer, and he said, King, if you'll allow me, can I go back and reconstruct that wall? Now, I'm, this is a fast summary of it, but it's the king says, Yes, you can, because he trusted him, and he knew he'd come back when it was over. He was a slave, remember. And so he got these people together, and he sent some supplies with them, and they began to build the wall. Now, what's the, what was the point of that story? As we continue to try to build Robertson Avenue Baptist Church, there are certain things that we have to overcome. Everybody that builds, every church that builds, that grows, has to come over, overcome some things. I remember years ago, I've shared with you before that I was in the electrical business in sales, I remember going to a sales meeting one time, and I believe it was in Dallas. I'm not, I can't remember where it was exactly. Anyway, it, to the guy that spoke to us, and it was a large crowd. It wasn't just a few of us. There was probably four or 500 there. And the, the, now, this is a business. And this was a, I mean, it wasn't a preacher or anything like that. He was just a, a businessman. And he says, I want to use for my context today the book of Nehemiah. And I thought, here's a businessman going to use Nehemiah, and this is not even a, this has nothing to do with church. This is a sales meeting. And what he did, he said that you can look in Nehemiah and you can get some principles for building a business or anything you want to build for that matter out of the book of Nehemiah. And he began to use these. And I jot them down. I'm going to use some of his things. In fact, if memory serves me, I've used this outline before, but hopefully I've changed enough you won't recognize it. But it's, I think it's just the outline basis, but it's a tremendous little book. Because there are certain things that if no matter if you're building your life, your career, your business, or whatever it is, the book of Nehemiah can help you. 
There's even books published now using that formula, if you will, of how to build businesses on the book of Nehemiah. Now, it's a, it's a book in the Bible. I mean, it just it doesn't sound like it'd be something that businesses would use. And I'm not saying a lot of them do, but it just, it is, it's not an unpopular deal. Because he lays out some groundwork of what we need to do and how you need to deal with people that try to stop you from building. And so with that in mind, if you would turn to Nehemiah chapter 4. Verse 17 and 18. Now, we've got a lot more to cover. We're just going to read these two verses. Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we read these words together. Those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction and with the other hand held a weapon. Every one of the builders had this sword girded at his side as he built And the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear God, we thank you, Lord, for this passage we just read. And Lord, we just ask that you would just go with us. And Lord, just open our hearts to be receptive of what you're trying to tell us through this little book. And how important it can be in our lives, whether we're building our personal life, whether we're building our church, whether we're building a business, or whatever it may be. These are some instructions that can be used greatly if we'll just apply them to our life. Thank you, Lord, for this book of Nehemiah and what it means to us. Go with us now through the rest of the service. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Did you catch that one little part? It's interesting to me to note that as this wall around Jerusalem was being built, that the people had an instrument of building in one hand, a hammer, whatever it may have been, but in the other hand they had an instrument of destruction, a weapon. So as they began to build this wall around Jerusalem, they had the hammer that they needed to build with, being a carpenter. I'm not, I'm not a carpenter, never have, don't want to be. But they had to, they had to have something in their hand to construct with. But at the same time, he told them to also carry a weapon of destruction, a sword, an axe, whatever it may have been. Now, why did he do that? Nehemiah knew that as they began to build, there's going to be opposition to everything they did. There's going to be people that come up and try to stop what they were doing. And we're going to see that in just a minute as we do this, as we go through this part. Through this story, we'll find that as we try to build not only the church, but you can, whether it be your life, your, your business, or whatever it may be, there are some powerful lessons here that each one of us can learn from. And we can apply these into our life on a regular basis. So, yes, it's a book of the Bible. Yes, this is an event that happened. Yes, this was a Bible story. But it can also be applied to so many other areas of our life if we'll allow it. Let me show you what I'm talking about. We must be the kind of people who know how to be aggressive in building for Christ or battling for Christ, whatever you want to name it, and who have a weapon of war against the forces of darkness at the same time. Satan is trying his best to stop this church from going forward. He does not want this church to move forward. You can be assured of that. Now, you say, well, today it looks like he might be winning. No, he's not. He's not winning the battle. But Satan does not want us to go forward. Now, as I've said before, Satan doesn't care if you come to church every Sunday. Did you know that? Satan could care less. What he doesn't want you to do is take the principles of God's Word outside of these doors and begin to apply them to your life and other people's life. That's what he didn't want. He doesn't care if you come here and sit at each other and, and get mad at the person living across the aisle from you or whatever. He doesn't care if all that goes on. 
And it does go on in churches sometimes. But he does not want you to take these principles and begin to plumb your life and see what God can do through you in your life. Watch what happens here. Usually, the sports personality who excels is the one who puts in long hours of additional practice. The one who makes a straight A's in school most of the time are the ones that burn the midnight hour studying just a little bit extra. Now, I wasn't a very good student in high school. I mean, I just, I, in fact, I think my senior year, I don't think I took a book home all year. But my grade showed it, too. Now, so just to let you know. But it's the ones that put in the extra hours and study are the ones that really make a difference in school. But isn't that true in everything in life? Let me give you some examples. The one who achieves is almost always the one that pays an extra price for that achievement. If you want to be the best at what you are, you want to be good at what you are, you've got to put in the time. Whether it be a business, whether it be your personal life, whether it be sports, no matter what it is, you've got to spend the time putting in the extra effort, if you will. In every walk of life where there's a battle, where there's a struggle, where there's an effort, there's a goal to be achieved. And so it is with the church. We've got some goals we need to reach. If I were to ask you this morning, how many of you want this church to grow? Raise up your hand. Of course. How many of you are willing to pay the price to get there? All right. Okay. Stay with me because we're going to talk about you in a minute. (laughs) For instance, a man will wrestle with a fish for seven hours, but at the same time you can take a little net and go down to the bait shop and scoop up 10 or 15 fish at one time. What's the difference? Well, that man wrestles for seven hours with the marlin. You can go scoop up minnows. There's a whole lot of difference. The difference is the man wrestles with a marlin, but you can scoop up minnows. So what do you want in your life? Do you want to be successful on the big scale, or do you want to be successful just as I've caught some fish? Now, I'm not a fisherman. I'm a I don't have the patience for fishing. Dave has talked about going fishing sometimes, and I told Dave, I'm probably not a good person to go fishing with you. Because after 10 minutes, I get bored and start throwing rocks in the water. I don't think he'd like that. So just, I'm just letting you know, I'm probably not going to go fishing today. But it's, I've, never been, I've just never been into fishing. You know, I'd go around the bait shop and scoop them up and go home, be done with it. But somebody that spends time fishing, they know how to fish. They've got the right bait. They've got the right tools. They've got the right rod and reel and all the things that go into it. I don't know that. I don't understand all that stuff. I don't have the patience for it. I'm a very impatient person, as you probably already know. But it's some people like that, and it makes a difference. Why is that most churches, and I'm saying most churches of all denominations, why are that we are not evangelistic? Have you ever thought of that? We like to talk about evangelism. We like people to come and join our church. We like to see people get saved and baptized. But what about reaching outside these doors? We say we enjoy, we want evangelism. Are we willing to pay the price it takes to get there? Are we willing to go outside these doors and knock on doors and invite people and have the door slammed in our face? Are we willing to do that? Well, I don't know about that. We want evangelism, but we want it to come to us. Folks, people outside these doors are not going to just accidentally walk in here. There may be a few, and we've got visitors today, and I appreciate each one of them being here. But most people are not going to just come off the street and 
Let's just stop there. That just looks like a great church. Let's go there today. They're not going to do that. And we talk about evangelism. And we believe in evangelism. And Jesus himself said we're to be evangelistic. We're to go outside the church and tell people about Jesus. But we don't do it as the most part. Stay with me. I'm probably going to step on some toes and make you mad today, so I'm apologizing in advance. Why are most churches small, fault-finding, or critical? Most churches are that way. We try to find fault with everything. The answer is simple. According to Nehemiah, it's because every time a church builds, there's always a battle to fight. There's always a battle to fight when you begin to grow. If we decide that we want to be a growing church and we begin to grow a church, I promise you there'll be battles to fight inside the church and outside the church. It's just the way it is. Try to build a business. See how many battles you have to fight. We've got businessmen in here and women. It's a challenge to build a business up because you have to fight battles. And that's what we're looking at here today. A leader should not always do what's comfortable He should launch out and go forward. There has never been a time in history when the church should be satisfied with what it has today. It must always be on the building avenues of greater achievement. God has only one gear for the church. It's called forward. There is no reverse in God's Word. God doesn't intend for us to sit still and idle our engines. He intends for this church to go forward, to find ways to bring in youth, to bring in children, to all the different aspects of it, to do the work that he's called us to do. God wants us to go forward in everything we do. Nehemiah returned to Jerusalem. He had asked the king, can I go back? Can we build the walls? And he said, sure. And he got him some supplies and all these other things, and he decided to go back. By the way, did you catch what I said? Nehemiah was a cupbearer. He wasn't a construction man. He didn't have the knowledge He was young when he was taken, probably a teenager when he was taken captive. He's been in the king's court for all that time. How did he know anything about construction? He didn't. But he depended on God for everything that happened. Oh, what a difference that makes. Nehemiah, we find him having problems, difficulties, with antagonists that tried to stop what he was doing. As they rebuilt the wall, Nehemiah told the carpenters to have a hammer in one hand and a sword in the other hand because he knew they were close to being attacked. Any time they could be attacked. So he told the workers, have your hammer in one hand and your sword in the other hand. And that's how they began to build the wall. That's an important lesson for us. As we begin to build this church, yes, we need to be going forward. We need to reach out and find a ways, but be prepared because the old enemy might attack at any minute. And he wants to stop going forward. This is the way that they began to build the wall. Notice the different kind of attitudes that Nehemiah had to face as the wall was being built. Number one, the first battle they had to deal with was the battle with hearers with hang-ups. Look, if you will, to Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 1. Let me flip over real quick again. Now, we're going to skip around the book of Nehemiah, so we'll just, it won't all be in order. But Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 1. Listen to what happens. But it so happened when Sinballat heard that there were 
They were rebuilding the wall that he was furious, very indignant, and mocked the Jews. Here's the first one. They heard of what was going on, and they made them mad. They didn't want this wall to be built. They didn't want the Jews to come back. They didn't want this to be a success. And so they set out from the beginning to stop this work. The same thing that happens with any church that begins to grow. Satan does not want us to begin to grow and spread the gospel. And he'll do whatever he can to disrupt it. That's why it's important that we, as a people, just like that song, we need to love each other and love God in the middle of it. That's what it's all about. We need to hold that. The battle with hearers with hangouts. The hearers. Have you ever heard somebody in church, out of church, in school, wherever you're at, have you heard this? And they begin to tell you what they've heard. You don't have to ask them because they're going to tell you anyway. Have you heard Have you heard this? Did you hear what that deacon did last week? Did you hear what that lady did last week? Have you heard this? And they began to spread that little word called gossip. And gossip is in churches as much as in anywhere else, folks. And God says, be careful. Be careful. You don't have to guess what they've heard because they'll always tell you. The thing that bothers me about hearers is God does not want us to be folks who tell what we've heard. He wants us to be people that tell what we know about Jesus Christ. That's our, that's our mission. God doesn't want us to tell people what we know. He wants us to tell them about what Jesus Christ is. The thing I like about the life of Paul was that he knew Christ was an experience in his life. Paul, you didn't ask him, Paul, well, give me your opinion on Christ. Paul didn't give you his opinion. He says, here's what I know about Jesus Christ. And he says, Jesus Christ changed my life on the road to Damascus. Folks, if Jesus Christ hadn't changed your life, I hate to tell you, but you're not a Christian. You say, well, I come to church every week. That doesn't make you a Christian. Jesus Christ, if he doesn't change your life, you're not a Christian. You say, well, I don't like that. Sorry. Jesus Christ will change your life when he comes in or he doesn't come in at all. That's just a fact, folks. There are Baptist people sitting in our churches every Sunday morning that if they were to die today, they'd spend eternity in hell because even though they know Baptist church or any other church for that matter, they don't know Jesus Christ. If you've missed that, just like Paul, he says, I know. He knew that something had happened that day to the road, on the road to Damascus. If we will concentrate on what we know about Christ, we won't have time to spread what we think about him, what we heard about him. Be careful of people who say, <clears throat> excuse me, people who say, have you heard? God has a weapon for that, and the weapon's found in uh, Nehemiah uh, 4, verse 4. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 4. Look at uh, that, that verse. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their own heads and give them as plunder to the land of captivity. Did you hear what he's doing? Nehemiah began to say, Lord, we can't handle these hearers. You take care of them. And he began to pray, God, silence them, stop them. That's the best weapon you can have is prayer. Do you believe in prayer? I know we all shake our heads and say yes, but do you really believe in prayer? When your life or your family or your child is in the middle of it, do you believe in prayer at that moment? Do you really believe that prayer works? 
I know we talk about it a lot, but sometimes what we do when a, cha- a challenge comes in our lives is we go find other ways first. Why can't I get out of this? Have you turned to God with it? First thing that Nehemiah did in verse 4, Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their own heads and give them as plunder to a land of captivity. That's what Nehemiah did. The second kind of battle we must fight is against the cowards who are critical. Look at Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 3. Nehemiah 4, 3. Now Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, Whatever they build, if even a fox goes upon it, it will break down their stone wall. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn their reproach on their own heads and give them as plunder to the land of captivity. Did you notice that now Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him? It's a shame, but some people have no reputation other than being identified with somebody else. You ever notice that? The only part they have is because I'm identified with this person, that person. Watch what happens here. Tobiah is never referred to unless Sanballat is also mentioned. He's the little shadow. Tobiah was the deceitful little shadow of Sanballat. Tobiah was the kind of fellow who stuck his head out just for a moment and said, Yeah, me too. But he always hid behind Sanballat. Everything he did, he hid behind him. But just to get his voice in, he'd make sure people knew that he's standing against it too, right behind Sanballat. Now, if old Sanballat had left, he'd been in trouble. Doesn't that sound like a lot of people? Long as we're behind somebody else, we've got the courage to do something. But don't leave me because, man, that's, that's all I've got. In other words, we're standing behind people a lot of times and not behind God. What takes place? Tobiah always, every time you see Sanballat mentioned, you see Tobiah. He must have really thought he was something special. A person often criticizes a program or anything else in the church because he knows if he supports the program and that program is successful, he may have to pay a price to be involved. Instead of truthfully saying, I don't want to go into that program, I don't want to because I don't want to give him money. What they say is, our church is big enough. We don't need to grow. We've got a nice size. Let's just stay here. Let's just be comfortable where we're at. We've got a pretty building. I mean, everything's nice. Why do we worry about other people? You bring those people in from outside, it's going to cause problems. Why do we need to grow? Let's just be happy with what we've got. But that's not what God tells us to do. Instead of truthfully saying, I don't want to go into that program because I may have to give something. It may be my money. It may be my time. It may be my talents. Whatever it is, we always say something. Well, we're big enough. We all have. We have to all. We have all we need right here. Why do we need to grow? Why do we need to bring new people? Those new people, all they do is cause problems. Have you ever heard people say that? They may not say it, but a lot of times they're thinking it. We bring people in, and some some folks do. Some people are troublemakers. But we've got to trust God in bringing people in. What can we do to overcome that? God has been good to us. Let's just count the blessings that we have and just enjoy right here. One time Mary had an alabaster box of perfume. She broke it. She poured its contents over the feet of Jesus. Judas snapped at her, if you remember, and he said, 
That was wrong. We could have sold that and given the money to the poor. Let me ask you, is there any time in the Bible that you can think of when Judas ever gave anything to the poor? Why was he so upset then? I believe he looked at Mary and saw the commitment that she had to Jesus, and he knew his commitment to Jesus. Remember, this is right before the crucifixion. He knew his commitment was not near what hers was, and he was jealous. And so to bring her down, he snapped at her. But notice what Jesus said. He said, leave her alone. She's done the right thing. See, sometimes we get jealous because that person's more godly than I am. Or that person's serving in more of a way than I can. Or that person's doing more in the church, and I don't want to get involved that much. And we look at it that way. Judas wasn't concerned that the perfume could be sold and the money given to the poor. I think what it was, he knew if someone else was that much in love with Jesus Christ and deeply committed to him, then maybe he ought to be too. But remember, Judas had already set in his mind what was going to happen. He was jealous because she had more of a commitment. That happens in the church all the time, folks. That person has more of a commitment. And we get almost angry at them because they shouldn't be doing that. They're just showing off their talents. Tobias said, oh, it's a weak wall. Peter jumped out of the boat one night, began to walk on the water. The disciple says, oh, no, Simon, you're making an idiot of yourself. Stay in the boat with us. That's always the language of cowards. Stay in the boat with, of apathy and of complaining. However, outside of Jesus, Peter's the only man in history that ever walked on the water. Do you have faith to walk on the water? Sometimes we have to get out of the boat to try it. Are you in a comfortable place where you're at? Maybe God's saying you need to get out of your boat of comfort and start walking on the water. Maybe you have to do something unusual that you haven't done before. Maybe you have to use something you haven't used before and get out of the boat and walk on the water. The third battle we see is the battle of discouragement. I heard a story some years ago that Satan was selling off all of his tools, all of his weapons, and all of them were well-priced, and you know, people were wanting to buy those tools, but he came to one, and he just, man, this one's the most expensive one around is the discouragement. Because, folks, nothing hurts your Christian life like discouragement. And guess what? Every one of us get discouraged at some point in our times. We all do. This morning when I heard the attendance of Sunday school, I got discouraged. I thought, man, did I miss a memo we wasn't having church today? What happened? Where is everybody? But, you know, it's not our problem to be worried about how many's here. Our job is to be worried about how many more we can bring here. That's what we ought to focus on. And, yes, it's discouraging some days. I get discouraged too, folks. I get discouraged quite often. But I have to get on my hands and knees and say, God, take this away from me. Don't let this bring me down. The battle of discouragement. Look at Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 10. Then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing, and there is so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. 
That's a pretty discouraging verse, isn't it? I mean, every word in there is discouragement. They had so much work to do. The builders are tired by this time. They're wore out. There's a lot of things going on. And they began to get discouraged. Every word that he spoke is negative. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. We're able to do anything that God wants us to do. I don't care what it is. If God wants Robertson Avenue Baptist Church to do something, God is able to bring it about. You say, well, how are we going to do that? We can't afford that. No, we can't, but God can. That's the way we've got to look at things. God can bring people. God can encourage people to come to our church. God can encourage us to get out and meet people and talk to people. But are we too discouraged to do it? Last year, some of y'all may not even know this, Brother Dan sitting over here, Brother Dan Lowe. we got two Dan's sitting over there. <laughs> During the hot part of the summer, you know when the Pokemon thing was going on? Y'all remember that? I mean, we had they were at the church every week. I mean, would have come in the building with a lot of them, I guess. But they were looking for Pokemon. I have no idea what Pokemon is. Don't want to know. But Dan saw these people over there, and he decided that would be an opportunity. You know what he did? And this is a true story, right? He's sitting there. You can ask him yourself. He got him a table, put some ice-cold water, wasn't that right, Dan, and different things. He set a table out here in the hot sun, and when the Pokemon people hit off them with a glass of water and cool them down. Now, that's, that's great. I don't know that he has any success with them. They were after Pokemon, not a glass of water. But what I'm saying is he made an effort to reach out to these people. These are young couple, most, well, people most of the time. And, he's, and I'm talking about in June and July and August when it was hot outside. I was sitting in the office of my comfortable office, and I thought, he's a nut. So, not really, but it just, I, I thought it but, it. but it's sometimes we have to go the second step to make a difference. Would you sit out in the parking lot in a hot summer day and offer somebody a drink of water? Jesus did. The very same thing. He was sitting at the well. And this lady come by a hot day, and he offered a drink. But he didn't offer a glass of water. He offered her the living water. What a difference it made in her life. Let's move along. We have the money, but what we need to ask is, is my commitment as big as the vision of my church? Is my commitment, does it match the vision of the church? Proverbs twenty nine eighteen says, without a vision, the people perish. Do we have a vision of Robertson Avenue Baptist Church? Do you really have a vision of what we need to be? Without a vision, the people perish. Folks, if we quit trying to reach out in this world today, and I know it's a difficult world we live in, and people have attitudes about church, but if we quit trying, in 10 years we won't exist because there won't be a church here. They'll probably turn this into something else. Oh, what a shame that'd be. We have churches today that every day of the week are going out of business. Everywhere. Are closing their doors. I don't want to be one of those. I don't want to get so discouraged. But watch what takes place here. Well, the church is getting too big. Let's never be so concerned about saving our time, saving our money, saving our energy that we don't make an impact for Jesus Christ. 
When we do that, we might as well close up. There are thousands of churches around the world that are literally doing virtually nothing anymore and going out of business. Let's be willing to pay the price, whatever it is, that will shake the world for Christ and give Satan a headache. Let's put Christ on the throne of everything we do. One fellow was sent to the Congo to sell shoes. He came back and told his bosses, you're crazy. Those people over there don't even wear shoes. The next fellow went to the Congress, uh, to Congo. He sent a message back says, praise God, there are so many prospects over here. What way are we going to look at it? How do we look at it? God, you've given us so many prospects outside these doors. Or do we look at it like saying, those people don't want to come to church here. See, it's all in the perspective you have. How are we going to change it? It's all in a matter of attitude and perspective. Pessimist or an optimist? Attitude is the important thing. I heard the story about two little boys one time. And two little boys, about, in fact, I think they're twins. And just, but one of them was a, I mean, he was just always into something. The other one was just so timid he didn't want to do anything. And this went on. They began to grow up. And so the mom and dad took them to the doctor and said, man, there's something wrong. He said, this one here, he's just into everything. He'll try anything. He'll jump off anything. He'll climb anything. And said, so this other one, he just, he don't want to do anything. He's afraid he'll get hurt. And so the doctor said, well, let's, let's look at him. So they put him in two different rooms. One room was filled with every kind of toy you can imagine. I mean, bicycles and things like this, just everything. The other one was filled with a big old pile of horse manure. So the doctor watched them. This one little boy that in the room with all the toys, he is in there, and he just he, you know, he, he didn't want to ride the bicycles. He might fall off and hurt himself. He didn't want to throw the ball because he might get hurt with it, this kind of thing. The other one, they opened the door, and this little boy, he was on his hands and knees. He was digging through this horse manure with his feet just flying out. And the doctor said, my goodness, what are you doing? He said, well, this much horse manure, there's got to be a pony in here somewhere. It's all the way we look at things. How are we looking at it? Are we an optimist or are we pessimistic? Well, God just can't use this church anymore. Our days are in the past. Our glory is gone from us. The next battle that we have to face is a battle of hateful people who hinder God's work. There are many ways to hinder God's work. Jesus said, He who does not gather with me scatters abroad. Let me ask you something this morning. Is your personal commitment as big as the church's commitment? Don't raise your hand. Just think about it. Is your personal commitment as big as the church's commitment? I believe that our deacons, I'm speaking for them today, I believe our administrative team, I believe our ministry team wants this church to grow. That's what we desire to do. Are we committed to doing that? Seriously? It's going to take some work. It's not going to just come in our doors. Are you willing to do that? Well, I don't know about that. Is your commitment as big as the church's commitment? I came here about two and a half years ago, almost getting close to three years now. I've been here now only three years. Can you believe that? Longest I've ever stayed at church. They always ran me off for them. But No, I'm, I'm kidding, but it's just... When we came here, I, with every ounce of my being, I believe God called us to this church. And I want to share something else with you right now. 
I still believe that. And I don't believe he called us here to sit and do nothing. I want to see this church go forward. I want to see this church grow. I want to see men and women, boys and girls, teenagers come and go through these baptismal waters. And that requires us to get up and do something. Let's go a little farther. I hope your commitment was that big. Jesus said to Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Now, what do you think that male Peter feel like? I mean, he had been with Jesus for three and a half years now, and Jesus looks at him and says, Get behind me, Satan. Don't you think that made him feel good? But you know what it did? It got Peter's attention. It got Peter's attention that, Hey, you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. And Jesus called him on it. If Jesus would walk in this church today, you know what he'd do? He'd offend a whole bunch of us. And I said us. He would, be a, he would offend us in a moment because he'd say, you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. You're not using your talent the way you're supposed to be doing. You're not teaching that Sunday school class the way you're supposed to be doing. You're not singing the choir the way you're supposed to be doing. Whatever it may be, I believe Jesus would offend nearly every one of us, and myself included, and say, probably look at him and say, get behind me, Satan. Is that what we want? Peter's commitment. Why did he say that? Peter's commitment stopped just a bit short of being total commitment. Peter had 90% commitment to Jesus Christ. But when it came time for Peter to understand that following Christ may mean the cross, he said, oh, no, not me. Peter drew the line and said, I'm not paying that price. Now, he didn't say that, but that's what he did. God doesn't ask for equal amounts. God asks for equal sacrifice. What is the God's weapon against hateful people? Look at chapter 4, verse 9. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to God, and because of them we set watch against them day and night. The next kind of battle we'll have to face is we have to fight, that we have to fight is the battle of the noble people who do nothing. Look at Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 5. Flip back a page or two. Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 5. <clears throat> Excuse me. Next to them, the Tekites made repairs. But notice this next line in verse 3. But their nobles did not put their shoulders to the work of their Lord. What does that mean? What's he talking about there? They were the special people. They were the ones that, no, I don't want to get my hands dirty. I'm too good for that. And guess what? Every church has that kind too. I don't want to do that. We have classes, Sunday school right now that need taught. Oh, no, that's not for me. I can't do that. If God calls you, you can do anything. God wants to use you. He didn't save you just to sit. He saved you to be used in his work. Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 5. They wanted to be the big shots. God said to, that to enter heaven, one must become as a child. Some people want to be royal but not loyal. Like a mannequin in store. Look at me. Look at me. Get all dressed up. They want to be the judge of all that's going on. They hurt you by sins of neglect. I'm going to evaluate this problem and this program and see how it's going. I want to. I want to look at this thing, and we begin to criticize the ones that are doing the work. 
we have something going on, somebody's trying to do the best they can, they may not be the best teacher we've got. But when people come up and start criticizing them, it hurts. None of us like criticism. Now, criticism can be good. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But be careful how you criticize. If you're not doing at least that much, don't be criticizing somebody else. You could be more than helping them. They hurt you by sins and neglect. I'm going to evaluate what we're doing. We don't believe in making a commitment. You ever heard that? I don't believe in making a commitment to the church. Well, then you better go somewhere else because that's what God says we're to do. Make a commitment, total commitment to it. We just believe in giving as God's le- as God leads. Oh, I know you get around to giving sometimes. Be careful when you say that. Do you know what Jesus said about it? Jesus said, give everything you have. I don't know about you, but I like that 10% better in that category. Jesus said, are you willing to give everything for me? Are you willing to give everything? That's what Jesus said. You don't like it? Take it up with him. He's the one that said it. Let him change it. I'm not going to. We just believe in giving as God leads. I'll drop a quarter in the offering plate. That's how God led me today. No, it's not. God says you owe your tithe. Be careful. If you really gave as God gives, you'd give everything you had. The noble people are so important that they're of no value to anybody else. We don't need the nobles who do nothing. We need people who have a burning desire to serve God. And last, real quickly, the battle of the fearful. Have you ever heard the ten time, of the ten-time talker? They have to tell you ten times how bad things are. Have you ever seen them? Ever known them? I mean, yeah, they come in. In fact, in our world today, we see them all around our campuses, and they call them whiners. They just, oh, it's just so many things I just don't like. It just, I don't like the president. I don't like the vice president. I don't like the Congress. Whatever it is, they just whine about everything. Guess what? We've got them in our churches too. I don't like the way we're doing this. Well, they come and help us change it. No, no, not me. Watch what happens here. There are people who are always afraid. God's weapon for this is unity. Look at chapter 4, verse 14 and 15. Chapter 4, verse 14 and 15. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, your houses. And it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us that God had brought their plot to nothing, that all of us returned to the wall, every one to his work. The best way to deal with a fearful is to use God's weapon of unity. And folks, I believe outside of Jesus Christ himself, the most important thing a New Testament church can have is unity. We need to love each other. I didn't say we have to like each other. We need to love each other. We don't always get around, get along. Guess what? I get upset with people too. But God says to love them in spite of it, to love each other to reach across the aisles to get to know them. We've got visitors here today. We've got one lady that drove all the way from Florida just to hear me preach. Isn't that right? I, I told you. I mean, that's in fact, I told her, well, that's not that far. You can drive every week. I think she ought to, don't you all? I mean, just... <laughs> 
We ought to reach out to our visitors when they visit and let them know there's no place you're going to be more welcome. You may find bigger churches, but you're not going to be more welcome here. I don't care if it's visitors have been here 10 times, 15 times. We still may, ought to make them feel welcome in our church. I don't care who it is. Well, I don't like that person. That's not a requirement. God said to love them, and we need to love our visitors. Miss Son has been here two weeks in a row now, and it, what a what a blessing it is to have her. She was sitting a while ago reading her Bible, and now I've never seen one of these, but I had, I had to look at it. It's one side's Korean, the next other side's English. I don't I don't know what I don't hardly know English, let alone Korean. But it just what I'm saying is it doesn't matter where you come from. God wants to be a family here. He wants to love each other, care about each other, be concerned about each other. We don't publish that prayer list for you to go home and put it on the shelf and leave it. We publish it so you'll pray for those people. Rocky and Stacy's granddaughter that went to the hospital, and yes, she's home now, doing better, but still we ought to be praying for that young lady. For uh, uh, Miss Moss's uh, daughter, was a grand, granddaughter, what, what it was anyway, daughter, okay, in the hospital. We need to be praying for her. This is our church family. We need to reach out to people. You and I can conquer if we'll just join hands and hearts together. God is concerned that we do all our work together. I think I've shared this little story with you before, but I'm going to share it again today. Years ago, and this is supposed to be a true story, years ago a little girl was lost in a large wheat field up in Kansas. If you've ever been to Kansas, I mean those wheat fields are massive by miles and miles and back in the early 1900s, you know, they didn't have the methods we do to do things. And this little girl got lost out in the field. They looked all over, called people in from the city. and just I mean, everybody was going out there looking for this little girl. Finally, after a long time, they joined hands and said, I tell you what, this one lady spoke up and said, tell you what we do. Let's all get hands together and just walk down the fields and, until we find her. We'll just cover this whole field. Hundreds of people got together and just as they walked down looking for this little girl, they finally found her. But it was too late. She had died. One of the people said, if only we'd have joined hands sooner, she'd still be alive. Robertson Avenue, Robertson Avenue Baptist Church needs to join hands or it might be too late before too long. Are we willing? Are we willing to do what it takes? Are we willing to go out of our way to help somebody? To make them feel welcome? To reach outside and knock doors, whatever it may be? Are we willing to do that? Do we really want this church to grow? That's a choice we've got to make, each one of us. But God does, that's for sure. Let's stand together this morning. Dear God, we thank you, Lord, for this time you've given us. As we come to close our service this morning, we just thank you for each one that's here. We ask that you be the ones that couldn't be here for different reasons this morning. And that, Lord, you just open our hearts. Lord, just put on our hearts a burden for this congregation, for this church. Lord, I believe we love this church. and We want to see it go forward. We just need to find ways to do that, to love, to care, to join together. Lord, you know the needs of every person in this room. There may be somebody here that does not know you as their Lord and Savior.
Lord, that's the greatest decision they'll ever make, no matter what age they are. There's people here today that just have been away from you. And we just ask that maybe that's the need they have to just bow these steps or talk with somebody and just to, to share that they've got needs in their life. Lord, our deacons are here. We just ask that you would open our hearts. We're not going to tarry long on this invitation. But, Lord, this invitation is yours. Are we the church you want us to be? Am I doing my part to make it that way for each one of us? In Christ's name we pray. Amen.